Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Mother's to all the mothers out there. Um, happy Mother's Day, I mean. Uh, it's great to have you along this morning. We're going to be looking at Joshua's chapter 1 to 4. Um, what was I thinking this week? Uh, I'm excited about working through Joshua. Um, I'm really excited about one day getting to see you face to face again because being in the garage here in the green room, as exciting as it is in front of a green screen and having my son on the computer there, uh, it's not as exciting as what it will be like when we get to be back together. So I'm looking forward to that day. Um, but before then, we get a chance to continue to sit under God's word because regardless of the fact we're together or apart, God's spirit is in our lives. He is with us. Uh, and his word can still speak to us and grow us where we are. Uh, and that's the blessing that we have in Christ. So let's see what he has to say today and see how it changes us. Let's pray. Father God, we just ask that this morning, uh, that your word that we're going to sit under this morning would speak into our hearts and minds. Uh, you would really help us to understand who you are in a deeper way and your incredible promises that we might trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I was talking to a mate this week uh, who had a had a moment. He had a moment where he was at the shops and what he saw was he was going up the escalators and coming down the escalators, there was a dad with his son. And as the dad and his son passed him as he came up the escalator, the father held the son's shoulder and he simply said, it's all good, it's all good, it's all right. The father was reassuring the son. Now, there are hard times, aren't there? There are anxious times, there are struggling times where we all need reassurance, where we need someone to say to us, it's all good, it's going to be all right. It's so good when that happens, isn't it? Well, this morning we're going to meet a God who reassures his people. Uh, If you're new with us this morning, we are jumping into the sixth book of the Bible named Joshua, And last week, we got up to speed on the story so far. Now, for those who missed it, I'm going to give you the quick recap. This is the quick version, okay? Page one, a good God creates a good world for us to enjoy with him. Page three, humanity rejects the good God to seek to enjoy the world without him. And as a consequence, humanity is removed from the presence of God. But God, at that point, puts a plan in place to restore humanity to himself, to bring them back into his presence. And so he selects a man and his family to fix the problem, a man named Abraham. Abraham's family are not chosen because they are better, but it's all because of God's grace. And so Abraham's family is promised a massive nation that will come from him, a special land, and that he will be a blessing to the entire world. And so by the second book of the Bible, that's Genesis, you hear the story of Abraham's family. By the beginning of the second book of the Bible, Exodus, Abraham's family has grown massive. It's become this great nation, but they're slaves in Egypt. And so God raises up Moses, and Moses is the one who will deliver them from Egyptian slavery into God's promised land that he promised Abraham. But So as they go out, they part the Red Sea, they go out into the land, they go out towards the land, But instead of entering into the promised land of Israel, we find out in the book of Numbers that they fail to trust him. And so instead, they wander in the desert for 40 years. That's recorded in Numbers and Leviticus. Then the final book of the Bible, before Joshua, is called Deuteronomy. 
Deuteronomy is a bunch of talks given by Moses to the people on the edge of the promised land of Israel before they go in. And so in chapter 31 of Deuteronomy, Moses sets aside Joshua to be his successor when Moses dies. And then in chapter 34, the final chapter of Deuteronomy, Moses dies. And this is what it says, Deuteronomy 34. Since then, no prophet has arisen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, who did all those miraculous signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do in Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his officials and to his whole land. Now, here was the deal at the end of Deuteronomy. Moses, in a sense, was the people's connection with God. God spoke to Moses. Moses spoke to the people. But now, Moses has died. And so the question is, even though he'd appointed Joshua as his successor, the question is, is Joshua going to be able to step up? (laughs) Is he going to be able to fill the shoes that Moses wore or are they going to be in the desert for another 40 years, just like they were with Moses? And so you're kind of on the, there's big questions. Are they going to be able to do it? Is Joshua going to be another Moses? God's people in this moment, at the beginning of Joshua, are like that kid on the escalator. They need reassurance. And so in Joshua 1-4, God gives them the reassurance. God gives them the reassurance. God reassures them with a new leader like Moses who carries God's promise and enjoys God's presence. So God reassures him with a new leader like Moses who carries God's promise and enjoys God's presence. I'm going to struggle with that, aren't I? (laughs) Joshua 1.1. Let's go. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, all right, so Moses said in Deuteronomy, sorry, yeah, in Deuteronomy 34, it says that God spoke to Moses face to face. So he had this direct revelation from God. Now God is going to speak directly. Here, he speaks directly to Joshua in the same way as Moses. Verse 2, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised to Moses. Now, the promise initially given to Abraham that they would live in the land of Israel, as you go through from Genesis through to Deuteronomy, is kind of built upon, and it was also a promise. That promise was built upon and given to Moses as well. So Moses is promised that they will receive a land flowing with milk and honey, and that when they go into the land, they'll be able to drive out the other nations. That promise is now given to Joshua. And so Joshua is God's new leader like Moses who carries the promises of God. Verse 5, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. So God reassures him further uh, by saying, not only do you carry the promises that I gave to Moses and to Abraham, but my presence is going to go with you as well. No enemy is going to stand against you. It doesn't matter who you go against. I'm going to be on your side and I'll bring you victory. And so in the midst of Israel's anxiety, God reassures them with a new leader like Moses called Joshua, who carries God's promise and enjoys God's presence. And so the rest of chapters 1 to 4 
we see Joshua living out the promises and presence of God. And so as you keep going through chapter 1, just as Moses commanded the people and they obeyed, Joshua steps up and he calls the people to enter the land with him. Verse 16, And they answered Joshua, All that you have commanded us we will do, and wherever you send us we will go. Just as we obeyed Moses in all things, so we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. And so the people here, they recognize that Joshua is another Moses to them. He's this new leader who carries the promise and presence of God. And so they agree to obey. And so that's the end of chapter 1. Then you go into chapter 2. Joshua sends Moses out. Sorry, Joshua, like Moses, sends spies out into the land before they enter in. Now, when Moses sent spies into the land last time, the net result was they wandered in the desert for 40 years. And so the question is, how is this whole spy expedition and the return of the spies going to work this time? First, chapter 2, verse 1. And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim as spies, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. And they went and came into the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab and lodged there. Now, let's be honest. This doesn't, this doesn't sound like a good start for these, for these spies. They, they go into Jericho and where do they go? They go to the prostitutes out. They go to a brothel. Now, what happens when they arrive at the brothel is that this lady named Rahab, who is a prostitute, she tells them she had heard about this God of Israel. Uh, and so as a consequence of that, when the people hear that there are spies in the town and they come to take them, Rahab hides the men because she's fearful of the God of Israel and she says to the men, when you come and God gives you this city of Jericho, please remember my family so that we will be saved. And so the spies agree and then they return to Joshua and they report all that the, all that the lady had said and what had been said amongst the people of Jericho, that they are fearing God's people. So in chapter 3, Joshua then leads them into the land. The people are instructed on what to do. Uh, first, they are led by the priests as they walk off to go into the promised land and they are carrying the Ark of the Covenant. Now, we said last week the Ark of the Covenant is the big gold box, which is the symbolic presence of God's symbolic throne. Okay, It was the gold box that contained the Ten Commandments. And so the priests are out front. They're carrying these this Ark of the Covenant on poles. And then verse 4 Yet there shall be a distance, so chapter 3 verse 4, yet there shall be a distance between you and it, that's you and the ark, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. All right, so you can imagine the scene. You have a couple of million people, but uh, what does it say there? It says 2,000 cubits, which is a kilometer. A kilometer in front of them, there are some priests holding an ark on some gold, on some poles. Okay, a kilometre ahead. Now, why is that? Why has God got this ark going before them like that? Well, firstly, it's to remind them that God is leading them here. <laughs> that it's not going to be Joshua leading into the land. It's not going to be any of the, the great warriors of Israel. That God is leading them into this land. He is their military leader. All right, and secondly, it's this picture of what we talked about last week of the holiness of God. That God is holy and unholy people can't be in his presence. So verse 7, the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that, as I was with Moses, 
so I will be with you. So just as back in the Exodus, God brought the ten plagues through the ministry of Moses, so just as through Moses, God parted the Red Sea, God is now going to show that Joshua is that Moses-type leader, God's special leader. And so Joshua instructs the priest to take the ark and go up to the water's edge of the Jordan River and stand just a little bit in, so your feet are just a little bit, and hold the ark just above the water. Verse 13, And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So you see it's happening again, just as God back with Moses parted the Red Sea to allow them to come out of Egypt. Here, God would reveal Joshua as another Moses by parting the Jordan River and allowing God's people to walk through to the other side into the promised land. And so that's what happens. They, uh, God parts, they, the priests walk up, the, the Jordan River parts, the people walk through on dry land. And so Joshua says to them at that point, all right, now what I want you to do God says to them, get 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, big stones, and bring them out and build a bit of a, a bit of a commemoration, a, a monument basically, to remind the people of what God had done for them in bringing them into the promised land. And so as the people pass over, they build this monument, this reminder of what God had done amongst them. Verse 14, on that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. And they stood in awe of him, just as they stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. God had reassured his people after by giving them a, another leader like Moses, who carries the promises and enjoys the presence of God. But his promises and his presence actually would require something from Joshua and something from his people. It would require strong and courageous faith or trust. And so we're going to reverse in the story back to chapter 1, verse 6, and listen to what he says to Joshua, God says to Joshua. He says, Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Now, typically when we talk about courage or we talk about it when we talk about Anzac courage or courage on the sporting field, we're talking about a person's inner strength to do something even though they're scared. Okay? But the Bible, when we talk about courage in the Bible, it's not just this internal characteristic that you have. It, biblical courage is, a, is about trusting and obeying the words of God in the face of fear. It's having the courage and strength to not fear but to do what God says, to listen to God's promises and to trust him. And so keep reading verse 7, only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success." Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. See, this is going to be the critical thing to learn about the book of the Joshua. 
The battle for Joshua and God's people was not just going to be a military battle where they were going to have to go into battle against other nations. The ultimate battle or the real strength and courage that was going to be required from God's people was to live according to the words of God, to trust God's promises by obeying what he said, to trust God's presence was with them and would give them victory. Do you see that? It's, it's not going to be just about trusting him in military battle. It's about trusting God's promises and his presence. And so as God's people enter the land, what does God do? God reassures them by providing another leader like Moses who carries the promises and enjoys the presence of God. And he says to them, trust my promises and trust my presence is with you. That's Joshua 1 to 4. Now, that little boy in the escalator, what did he need? I don't know what was going on in his life. Maybe he didn't get the toy he wanted, didn't want in the shop. I, I don't know what happened. It's hard to say. But his dad felt like he needed to reassure him, to say it's all good. Now, we don't know what the boy said after he got further down the escalator, but what stops that boy from saying to his dad, no, it's not that. <laughs> it's not all right. It's not all good, dad. See, sometimes when people reassure us, it can feel really empty, can't it? Like they're just throwing, oh, it's all good, it's all good, it's all good. When sometimes it's just not. See, in order to be able to really reassure someone, you need to have the power to fulfill your promise, to say what you, what you say is going to happen, it's going to be alright. You need to have the power to make that possible. And you need the capacity to maintain your presence, to be with the person. So you need the power to make the promise possible and you need the capacity to maintain your presence. And friends, God has that power. God always has that power. For just as the people back then had the power, had God promising his presence among them and his promises to cling to, so we do as well. So we do as well now. See, whereas God's people back then were given another Moses, the truth for us now is that we're given another Joshua, the saviour to whom Joshua and Moses pointed to, a saviour called Jesus, who in Hebrews 8, it says, provides greater promises. See, Joshua was promised victory over the Canaanite tribes. And yet for those who put their trust in Jesus, Jesus promises victory over sin. The very reason that as you go into the book of Joshua, they eventually get kicked out of the land because they can't obey God. We, because of our trust in Jesus, have victory over sin. We have forgiveness and a perfect relationship with God. Not only that, we have victory over death. When Jesus rose from the dead three days later, it is the sign that those who trust in him can have eternal life with God. Joshua was promised. What was he promised? He was promised the promised land, which was to be the place of God's presence with his people. But now for those who trust in Jesus, 
we have God's Holy Spirit living in us now, the very presence of God living in us now. And one day when he restores this world into a new creation, we will see God face to face. You see, Joshua on the edge of the promised land and the people of God needed reassurance and God gave it. But we have the ultimate reassurance in Jesus. We have the ultimate promises in Jesus. And so my questions to you this morning, number one, are you trusting in the promises and presence of God? Are you trusting in the promises and presence of God? Are you walking assured of the victory over sin and death that you have in Jesus. When you're struggling with sin, I don't know, I don't know what you're struggling with at the moment, whether it's this habitual sin that just keeps on coming up, whether it's this dysfunction in the way you do relationships, whatever it is, when you're struggling what, do you trust the word of God which says you are a new creation in Christ Jesus? That the power that raised Christ from the dead is actually at work in you, empowering you to battle against sin do you trust that even when when you're struggling that Jesus is at work in you in that moment in every moment to make you more like him do you trust the word of God the promise of God where it says he will never leave us or forsake us do you trust do you trust this that he has placed you in the right place right now And it's part of his good and perfect plan. Do you trust that he's placed you in the right family? Do you trust that he's placed you in the right workplace? Do you trust that he has placed you in the right marriage? And that even though it is hard right now, God is working through it. Do you trust that even though you might have chronic illness, even though you might as a consequence have weaknesses that are impacting your capacity to to serve him and do things, that it is a part of his good and perfect plan, that he is doing better things through that than other some other plan that you might have for your life? Do you trust him that the best thing you can do for your soul is to spend time with him in his word, spending time with him in prayer, singing to him? Do you trust him in your relationships that even though people do horrible things to you sometimes, that the best thing to do is to forgive people, is to have mercy on people? Do you trust him at the same time that he is the one that will bring perfect justice so that you don't have to? Do you trust him that he has given you special gifts and abilities, real ones, that you can use for the building up of the body of Christ, for the church. See, I'm just trying to give you a few of the things that his words promises to you, to those who trust in Christ. Because the reality is, as followers of Jesus, we live according to those promises. In some senses, there's nothing we do in our lives that will not involve trusting in his promises and presence in our lives. And so whatever we come in in our lives, we need to stop and reflect, what promises of God do I need to cling to, be strong and courageous and hold to in the midst of this situation? But for some of you here this morning, I'm not sure who's here this morning, you might not have that reassurance. 
You might not have that reassurance from God. You might not have that reassurance of his presence. You might not have that reassurance that in the face of death that you will be in heaven with him face to face. You might not have reassurance that your sins are forgiven. And that is because you haven't trusted in the promises of God. You haven't trusted in Jesus. And so this morning is like every morning we meet together at church is another opportunity for you to receive the promises of God, for you to trust in Jesus, to have victory over death, victory over sin, and know God's presence in your life now and for eternity. So if that's you this morning, please contact me. Let me know that you have made that choice today because I want to help you grow in understanding what it means to live by the promises and presence of God and how that can transform your life. But the second question I want to ask, big one, is how are you reassuring others with the promises and presence of God? See, like I said before, in order to not have empty reassurance, we need to have the power to make the promise happen and we need to be able to maintain presence with people. And so when you're reassuring other people, we can sometimes reassure people with our power and presence. Like a father and son. Like if it's something really small, like, you know, he's hurt himself, for instance. We can reassure them by saying, it's all good, I'm with you and you will get better. But sometimes when we're reassuring people, the problems are bigger than our capacity to do anything about. And so at that point, the effectiveness of our reassurance is connected with how we link in to the promises and presence of God. Because God's promise and his presence has the power to always reassure us. So when someone is going through chronic illness and you are someone who's coming alongside them, how are you going at reminding them that you will be with them, you will be present with them, but not only will you be present with them, but God is present with them. And that he, he is good and his promise is that even in the midst of their suffering, he is the God who suffered with them and will walk through them with it and will redeem their suffering. When a friend from church perhaps goes through redundancy or a person, when another Christian, how are you going that reminding them that God has not left them, that he hasn't forsaken them just because they lost their job and that he is with them through the midst of their hardship? Friends, this passage was for God's people originally about reassuring them, reassuring them with another leader like Moses who carried the promises of God and provided the presence of God amongst the people. But it wasn't just written to them. It was also written to us who have another Joshua, the ultimate Joshua, Jesus, who reassures us with the ultimate promises of life, in the face of death, of victory over sin and of his presence now and for eternity that we might say to each other, be strong and courageous. Don't be terrified for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let me pray and thank him for his promises. Father God, we praise you and thank you for your promises this morning, your great and perfect promises that because of Jesus, we can have victory over sin, we can be forgiven by you, 
because of Jesus, we can have victory over death. Death no longer has its sting because you have risen from the dead and we can now have eternal life with you. And we now have the promise of your presence with us every moment through your Holy Spirit now and forever in the new creation. Father, help us to live according to the promises of God. Help us to have victory in our lives. Help us to, in every moment we encounter, reflect back on how God's promises speak into this situation now and be strong and courageous and trust them. Father, help us to be a people who not only enjoy your reassurance, but reassure our brothers and sisters in Christ with your promises and your presence regardless of our struggle. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.